Trivial Knowledge, a little bit about a whole lot. My name is Stephanie, and I'm excited to bring to you this next episode of Trivial Knowledge. Today, we are going to discover some interesting events that occurred in 1982, and then learn about the 1953 British Mount Everest expedition. But before we start, here's a little bit of background for those who are listening for the first time. Each podcast episode brings you a weekly dose of knowledge from five different topics drawn from four broad categories. And to add to the fun, one topic will be acquired from a random Wikipedia page. With such an extensive range of topics, there's going to be something here for everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's dive into episode 30, from 1982 to the Auriga Constellation. Social Sciences In podcast episode number 6, we travel back to 1998 and learn about some of the big events that occurred that year. Today, we are going to travel a little further back to the year 1982, which happened to be a big year technology-wise and also has some major sporting moments. So let's get started in January of 1982, where two major computer events occurred. The first happened on January 7th, when the Commodore 64 launched at the Commodore International in Las Vegas. The design process for one of the most successful home computers started a year earlier in January 1981, when Moss Technology engineers decided to create a new computer chip. Instead of using it in a video game, which had been the original thought, Commodore's president at the time, Jack Tramiel, asked his engineers to develop a new home computer that the chip, which had been completed in November, would be used in. He gave his team of engineers a deadline of six weeks as that is when the Winter Consumer Electronics Show was to take place in January of 1982. After a successful presentation at the show, the powerful Commodore 64 went on sale in August of 1982, selling for $595, which was significantly cheaper than its competitors at the time. The computer was a big success, and over its production run, which lasted until around 1994, the computer sold 17 million units and became the best-selling single personal computer model of all time. Along with bringing us one of the most successful personal computers, January 1982 also brought to us the first personal computer virus, known as Elk Cloner. Elk Cloner was created by teenager Rich Screnta, and it was coded to infect Apple II Plus disks. Overall, it was a benign virus, and a lot of its behaviors weren't even observable to the user. Elk Cloner demonstrated 14 different behaviors, with these starting to occur with the 10th boot. And then a new behavior manifested every 5 reboots until the 79th reboot, when the counter was reset to zero and progress started over. The most obvious behavior of Elk Cloner, though, occurred on the 50th reboot, when Elk Cloner's famous poem was displayed, which said, Elk Cloner, the program with a personality. It will get on all your disks. It will infiltrate your chips. Yes, it's Cloner. It will stick to you like glue. It will modify RAM too. Send in the Cloner. While the virus was released in 1982, it didn't really make the news until 1985 when it was featured in Scientific American, but nonetheless, it still has made history as the first personal computer virus. 
Moving into February, on the very first day of the month, the Senegambia Confederation was reached. The agreement between Senegal and the Gambia included integrating their military and security forces, forming an economic and monetary union, coordinating their foreign policies and communication, and lastly, establishing a confederal institution. As Senegal was larger, it was determined they would control both the presidency and two-thirds of the seats in parliament. Each country would maintain their own independence. The Gambia would soon begin having concerns over its autonomy with the terms of agreement, especially in relation to the presidency and parliament, and the Senegambia Confederation was dissolved in 1989 for this reason. March takes us up into space, as it is the month that syzygy occurred. Syzygy is when all the planets are all on one side of the sun. Thanks to a paper published in 1974 by two PhD scientists from Cambridge, many people thought that major natural disasters were going to occur. The paper, called The Jupiter Effect, had as its thesis that the gravitational pull of aligned planets would lead to sun eruptions, which in turn would cause changing winds, tidal waves, and other major natural disasters. They believed this would occur when all the planets would align within a 96-degree arc. According to Jack Horkheimer, who was the executive director of the Miami Space Transit Planetarium at the time, who was quoted in an article by Henry Allen published in the Washington Post on March 10, 1982, as saying, We've had a hundred phone calls a day for the past week. People love to be scared to death. Some people get upset when they find out the world is not coming to an end. Some people get angry. They want anything but reassurance. As we all know though, there was no major disasters that occurred that day on March 10, 1982 from the planet's alignment on one side of the sun. Now moving on to April, we traveled to the Falkland Islands, a British colony 300 miles off the southern tip of Argentina, who had long held that the islands are part of their territory. On April 2, 1982, Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands by taking over a small garrison of British Marines at the capital, Port Stanley, on East Falkland. The following day, the Argentinas seized South George and South Sandwich, starting the Falkland Wars. Argentina at the time, ruled by a military led by Lieutenant General Leopoldo Galtieri, who was being criticized for his rule, decided to conquer the Falkland Islands to promote patriotism. Now when Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher of Great Britain heard the news, she sent a naval task force of 30 warships to retake the islands, and the House of Commons voted their approval of this action on April 3rd. The Falkland Islands were 8,000 miles from the British Isles, and it took several weeks for the British troops to arrive. On April 25th, they retook South Georgia Island, and May 21st, they landed on East Falkland. Finally, on June 14th, the Argentine garrison at Stanley surrendered, knowing that further fighting was futile against the British. For May, we traveled to Great Britain, specifically to Northumberland's North Tyne Valley, where the largest man-made lake in Northern Europe, by capacity, was opened. The idea for the lake was first planned in the 1960s due to a predicted rise in need for water in the area. It took 20 years to plan and 7 years to build with 1,500 engineers involved in the project and cost £167 million to build. Upon its completion, the reservoir took 2 years to fill. Today is part of the Kildare Water and Forest Park and brings over 400,000 visitors a year. 
It is home to about half of England's red squirrels, and in 2009, ospreys also returned to Kildare for the first time in 150 years. Another event that occurred in May was Spain receiving full membership to NATO to become their 16th member. It became the first new country to join since West Germany did in 1955. Spain received its invitation to join on December 10, 1981, after they received a majority vote from NATO. June, the month that Prince William was born, also was the month of the 1982 FIFA World Cup. Brazil were the favorites with their attacking football, but as in many World Cups, did not come out the winner. The tournament started with the first group stage, which included England playing in their first World Cup for 12 years, and also included upsets when Algeria defeated both. West Germany and Austria. This actually led to a controversy when West Germany and Austria played a 1-0 scoreline, with Germany winning, but which allowed both West Germany and Austria to advance over Algeria. Allegations of match fixing occurred, but nothing was proven. But from then on, FIFA changed the rules so that all final matches in each group kicked off at the same time. From then on. The second group stage consisted of four groups of three teams, with the four winners of the groups moving on to the semifinals. Brazil was knocked out here when Rossi of the Italian team scored a hat trick or three goals. Alan Hansen, a former England player, had to save the Brazilian team. They came unstuck, but as far as flair, imagination, and creativity were concerned, they were always the best team in Spain, and they are still, without a shadow of a doubt, the best team never to have won the World Cup. In the semifinals, West Germany defeated France in the first World Cup match to be determined by penalties, and Italy beat Poland, setting up a West Germany versus Italy final. In the final, Italy broke the deadlock on 56 minutes when Rossi scored a goal. Italy's Tardelli scored the second goal, which is more famous for his celebration, which received its own name, the Tardelli scream. Tardelli says of his goal in an article published by the BBC in May 2010 by Chris Bevins that the joy of scoring in a World Cup final was immense, something I dreamed about as a kid, and my celebration was a release after realizing that dream. I was born with that scream inside me. That was just the moment it came out. Italy would go on to win the FIFA World Cup 3-0. Now we move into July 1982 in Lawn Chair Larry. Larry Walters was a truck driver out of California, but his dream had always been to fly. In fact, when he joined the military, he intended to become a pilot, only to be told that his vision was too poor to meet the requirements. But his longing to fly continued, culminating with the event that occurred on July 2, 1982, when he took flight in a lawn chair. He used an aluminum lawn chair from Sears and attached 42 eight-foot helium weather balloons to it. As well as gallon jugs of water for ballast, he called his creation Inspiration I. After adding sandwiches, cold beer, a CB radio, camera, and a pellet gun to be used to pop the balloons when he was ready to descend, he climbed aboard. Inspiration I was tied to his jeep using three lines, and he planned to keep it tethered at 100 feet for about an hour, and then call the FAA before cutting the ties and floating what he estimated would be a couple hundred feet up. And then planned to land in the Mojave Desert. Only things didn't go as planned. His tether lines prematurely broke, and he was launched rapidly, ending up 16,000 feet in the air. Multiple commercial airline pilots flying around LAX saw him, as reports included, 
This is TWA 231, level 16,000 feet. We have a man in a chair attached to balloons in our 10 o'clock position range, 5 miles. Eventually, Larry gathered the courage to pop some of his balloons, though accidentally dropped his gun in the process. Luckily, he popped enough balloons to begin the descent, and he poured out ballast to control the descent from there. After his 1.5-hour long flight, he finally landed in Long Beach, tangled in power lines. This led to a 20-minute electricity blackout in the area. He was arrested and charged by the FAA and fined $4,000, though eventually one charge was dropped because a lawn chair didn't require an airworthiness certificate, and his fine was reduced to $1,500. August 1982 was a month that the first CD was manufactured, which was The Visitors by ABBA. It was manufactured in the Philips factory near Hanover, Germany on August 17, 1982. This helped shift the music industry from analog to digital and eventually spawned the DVD and Blu-ray. Piet Kramer, who worked at Philips at the time, said of this milestone in an article published in The Wire in August 2007 by Rob Bacchisa that, When Philips teamed up with Sony to develop the CD, our first target was to win over the world for the CD. We did this by collaborating openly to agree on a new standard. In the late 70s and early 80s, we never imagined that one day the computing and entertainment industries would also opt for the digital CD for storing the growing volume of data for computer programs and movies. One interesting fact, if all CDs manufactured in the world were lined up, they would circle the earth six times around. September brings us the first emoticon, the smiley face. It was created by Scott E. Fallman, who belonged to the Carnegie Mellon computer science community, which used online bulletin boards to communicate in the 1980s. The only problem was that, similar to nowadays, people had difficulty recognizing if a post was serious or was a joke. Scott Fullman, in a post, suggested that the smiley face using a colon dash in parentheses be used on posts that were supposed to be humorous. This caught on and then spread to other universities and research labs. While Fallman may not have been the very first person to type those three characters in a row, his post was the one that took hold and eventually spread through the world, ending in the emoticons that we use today in text and online. November was famous for sports because it was the month that the play took place. The Stanford Cardinals were playing the California Golden Bears in what was known as the Big Game, which was one of college football's greatest rivalries. Stanford quarterback John Elway had just led his team across the field, including converting a 4th and 17, ending in a successful field goal attempt, with Stanford taking the lead 2019 with 4 seconds left. Following the field goal, Stanford was flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct for their over-celebration, and the kickoff was moved from the 40-yard line to the 25-yard line. Stanford's kicker hit a squib kick, which was fielded at Cal's 45-yard line, and then the play commenced and chaos took over. After Cal's Moen fielded the ball, five successful laterals occurred, culminating in Moen getting the ball back and running it into the end zone, taking out a Stanford trombonist in the process and scored the winning touchdown. For those who love college football, definitely a play to watch on YouTube. This brings us to December, the last month of 1982, and where Time Magazine awarded the Personal Computer for its Person of the Year, bringing the year in a full circle as it started out with the launching of the Commodore 64. I hope you enjoyed this trek back through 1982.
Sports and Entertainment. The first summit of Mount Everest occurred back in 1953, 31 years after the first recorded attempt in 1921. Mount Everest is part of the Great Himalayas and lies on the border of Nepal and Tibet. The tallest mountain in the world, it reaches the height where jet airliners cruise and is thus extremely cold with low oxygen levels. Three years after the first recorded attempt in 1921, a summit attempt was launched by George Lee Mallory and Andrew Irving, but they were never seen again, and it is not known if they ever reached the summit. These attempts had all been launched from Tibet, but it closed its borders after World War II. No further attempts were made until Nepal opened its borders in 1949, allowing for new attempts from the south. British expeditions of 1950 and 1951 explored the southeastern ridge route, but the first real summit attempt from the south was by the Swiss expedition of 1952. They were able to establish a route up Lotsi's face and eventually made it up to 28,210 feet on the southeast ridge, but didn't make the summit. Though this was likely the highest anyone had been at the time. The British, seeing this, were now determined to make a summit attempt in the spring of the following year. The British expedition included British climbers, British Commonwealth climbers, and Sherpas. The group was led by Colonel John Hunt of the King's Royal Rifle Corps, described as a wiry, grizzled, often wry, and utterly dedicated leader by Jan Morris, a news correspondent on the expedition team. The team began their way up the mountain in April of 1953, forging a new passage through Kumbu Falls. Made their way up Western Coombe, across Lhotse Face, and finally to South Coal at 26,000 feet. At this time, the first summit team of two members had been chosen by Hunt, and they were Tom Bordelon, a former president of the Oxford Mountaineering Club, and Charles Evans, a brain surgeon. Unfortunately, while they made it to the South Summit, they were 330 feet short of the top before they had to turn around due to low oxygen supply and issues with Evans' oxygen set. Three days later, the second summit team set out for the top. Sir Emin Hillary, a beekeeper from New Zealand, and Tenzing Norgay, a Sherpa, set off from a higher altitude camp at 27,900 feet and reached South Summit by 9 a.m. on May 29, 1953. They made their way through a tricky part that would become known as Hillary Step and reached the true summit, the highest point on Earth, at 11:30 a.m. on May 29. After spending 15 minutes at the top, they turned around to rejoin the rest of their team. Upon their arrival back at camp, they shared their news of success, and this is where the news correspondent Jan Morris's story comes in. In Jan's own words, from an article that was published by Smithsonian Magazine in May 2003, as we waited, chatting in the snowy sunshine outside the tents, conversation turned to the forthcoming coronation of the young queen to happen on June 2nd, three days time. And when Hillary and Tenzing strode down the coom and gave us the thrilling news of their success, I realized that my own moment of allegory had arrived. If I could rush down the mountain that same afternoon and get a message to the Indian radio station, with any luck, my news might get to London in time to coincide with that grand moment of national hope—the coronation, the image of the dying empire, as it were, merging romantically into the image of a new Elizabethan age. As it happened, Jan was able to get down the mountain in the gathering dusk, and the news of the successful summit broke on June 2nd, the day of Queen Elizabeth's coronation. 
Both Hillary and Hunt would be knighted by the new queen that year, and Norgay would receive the British Empire Medal. Science and Technology The Auriga constellation can be seen in the Northern Hemisphere and is the 21st biggest constellation in the night sky. Its name translates as a charioteer in Latin, and it received this name as its major stars take the shape of the pointed helmet of a charioteer. It was first cataloged by Ptolemy, the Greek astronomer, in the 2nd century, along with 48 other constellations. Auriga belongs to the Perseus family of constellations, which include Andromeda, Cepheus, and Pegasus. Its brightest star is Capella, which is the sixth brightest star in the night sky. Capella actually consists of two binary pairs of stars, a pair of bright G-type giants and a pair of smaller, cool red dwarfs. Capella marks the charioteer's left shoulder in the constellation. The second brightest star in the constellation is Mechelen and represents the right shoulder, and it is a triple star system with two white subgiant stars and one red dwarf star. Eight of the stars in the constellation have known planets as well. Along with the stars, Auriga also contains three open star clusters in Messier 36, 37, and 38. These were initially discovered by Italian astronomer Giovanni Battista Podlierna in the 17th century and were included by Charles Messier in his catalog of 1764. The constellation also has two meteor showers associated with it, Alpha Aurigids and Delta Aurigids. For those interested in seeing the star, it can be found using Orion as a guide. Auriga is best viewed over the winter months in the Northern Hemisphere when it is high in the sky and when both Auriga and Orion appear a few hours after sunset. Now once you have found Orion, immediately above that is Taurus and above Taurus is a pentagon shape of stars. The bright star in the pentagon is Capella and these stars make up the bulk of Auriga. So as we move into the autumn and winter months in the Northern Hemisphere, and you find yourself with a bright starry night, see if you can find the constellation Auriga. Geography and World Culture Today, we travel to the Czech Republic, where we are going to visit the Jozefov Meadows Bird Reserve, located in the northeastern part of the country. The reserve was founded in 2008 with the goal to create a suitable condition for wetland birds and amphibians to return to the meadows, which was a floodplain of the river Matuje. To do this, the reserve restored shallow pools and reduced vegetation covering, but one of the most important achievements was repairing the century-old irrigation system which brought water to the floodplains. The irrigation system was initially built between 1902 to 1912 and used the river Matuje and its canals. It now is used to support the grasslands in the dry season and can imitate the autumn and springtime floods. Since the restoration of the irrigation system, over 180 bird species have been observed in the reserves, including several endangered species. Bird species include the common snipe, northern lapwing, redshank, and spotted crake. But it's not only birds that have returned to the area. Many amphibians have also been spotted, including the marsh frog, European green toad, smooth newt, and northern crested newt. Recently in 2018, wild horses have also been introduced to the reserve as natural grazing has many positive benefits. 
Since the horse's introduction, a dusky large blue butterfly, which is a rare species, has been spotted in the grazing area. The Bird Reserve is the first bird park in the Czech Republic. It is also a popular tourist area, and since its opening, it has provided educational benefits for the public. It received one of the first Adaptera Awards, which are presented to projects who have helped fight climate change and won the Public Vote Award. For those who find themselves in the Northeast Czech Republic, the reserve is open to the public and provides educational trails, observatory, and excursions. Today's random topic. Our random Wikipedia page today brings us to the umbrella antenna. Umbrella antennas are transmitting antennas that work well for low frequency and very low frequency bands. The antenna is made of a central mass which is insulated from the ground and connected at the base to a feed line from the transmitter. At the top of the mast, equally spaced diagonal wires that lie in a ring and arch down to the ground are located, similar to the ribs in an umbrella. At the ground, they are anchored with concrete anchors and an insulator is inserted into each wire at a particular height to keep the antenna current from reaching the ground. These antennas are used to transmit low frequency and very low frequency bands for navigational aids and military communication and also are used in medium wave and long wave AM broadcasting stations. These antennas have been used since the early 1900s and a version of them, the umbrella unfolding antenna, has even been used in space, including in the Galileo Jupiter detector. So now you know a little bit more about umbrella antennas. And that concludes this episode of Trivial Knowledge, a little bit about the whole lot. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you were able to take away some interesting facts that were new to you and that you can share with friends and family or at your local trivia night. If you would like to learn more about topics that you enjoyed today, you can access links to more in-depth articles on my show notes blog post on my website, www.trivialknowledgepodcast.com. The blog posts are currently a little bit behind, but I plan to have them all up to date by the end of this month. If you have questions or would like to leave comments about today's episode, please email me at trivialknowledge5 at gmail.com or contact me via social media links on my website. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. I look forward to our new adventures next week when we will learn all about serial position effect and much, much more. I will end this episode with a quote from Julia Seitz. Knowledge may be power, but cake has great bargaining properties. Join me next week to learn a little bit more about a whole lot. <laughs>